You're listening to audio from Embassy Church. We exist to advance the message and ministry of Jesus in the city of Bloomington, on the campus of IU, and to the ends of the earth. How are we doing this morning? Great, great. Uh, welcome back, students. Puncture here. Uh, my name is Chris Cook. I'm the lead pastor here at Embassy. So if you're joining us for the first time, uh, first time in a long time, uh, really, really glad you're, you're here. If you're a guest, again, uh, just remember to fill out that um, Next Steps card or scan the Next Steps card uh, that was on your seat or your neighbor's seat. Don't be shy about asking them for it. Um, we'll get some more for next week. Um, but filling out the Connect form on that link tree will help us uh, help you get connected here at Embassy. Um, yeah, I, I, love, I love when students come back. Um, I actually, uh, I had to fly down to... Uh, New Orleans to spend some time with my family um, Tuesday through Thursday. A quick trip, real quick flight, flew down there, and my wife Allison's birthday was Friday. Um, and I thought, man, I should get her a card, right? Good husband, um, I should get her a card. So the day before, uh, I flew in and I went straight to Target, um, and I walked into Target, and it was almost like a scene from like A Bug's Life, where like, you know, the ants have come through and like just like pick through everything, like the home section was just literally depleted, like Brie was talking about with Kroger, and it was just weird, and I was just like, what's happening in here, and it just didn't click for me, and my mind was on a lot of different stuff, family stuff, and I like kind of made the corner, and like came to the checkout line, and then there was the swarm, and it was like every like college student with their mom or dad, you know, um, and I was like, wow, you know, she's 36, I mean, that's not like a really important birthday, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, am I right? Right? You get up, you get up to my age, and you kind of count by fives, and it's like the card's like seven dollars. You know, it's like I could make her a card, but you know that's cool at five. But like thirty-five, that's weird. Um, yeah, so I tried to get out of there, and that was hard. You know, because I mean, I'll, I'll change analogies here, but it was almost like I'm from New Orleans. We like we like hurricanes. Um, it was kind of like after a hurricane hits, like they had like burned buses and tires like guarding the exits. Like the, the target people like lit things on fire so you couldn't get out of the store. And I was like, let me out of this place. I literally, it took me about five minutes to like get out of the store because I didn't go through the swarm and buy anything. Um, but I, I found other overpriced greeting cards at CVS. So if you need those, um, they're there as well. Uh, you can find those. But all that to say, um, students, welcome back. You make Bloomington amazing, you make Embassy amazing, and we're glad you're here. Um, this morning, we're going to start a new mini-series um, for this Sunday and the following two, so the next three Sundays, where we're going to look at um, who we are uh, as a church. We like to do this a lot, um, well, not a lot, but, but every fall at least, um, we'll circle back uh, to who we are uh, as a church. Um, and uh, this is great if you're a guest, if this is maybe your first Sunday here, or you've been coming for a few Sundays um, this is kind of a heads up, right? So you don't have to like hang around embassy for too long. You don't have to like get in a small group. We call them city groups um, to really figure out who we are. Like here, I'm going to give it to you this Sunday and the next two Sundays. So you can kind of figure out like, yeah, those people are weird. And I like that weird and I'm going to hang around or I don't like that weird. And uh, man, wish you the best, you know. Um, but uh, this is a heads up if you're a guest. If you're if you're a friend, maybe you've been coming for a couple months, maybe three months, six months, um, this shouldn't be shocking to you um, because uh, this, is, this is who Embassy is, and, and maybe it's a, um, it's a make sense, you know? Um, like, I've smelt that, 
here, you know. Um, I've tasted that, you know. Um, I, I get that. So it's a clarifier um, if you're a friend. And if you're family, um, this is just a, a refresher, right? This should be a, that's right, you know, in the best way, right? You should hear uh, me talk about uh, these values that we have as a church family. And you should go, yeah, um, this is the kind of slow drip of culture creation um, that, that we're um, doing a lot of on the front end of this church plant as a young church plant. Um, and so it's a refresher for you family uh, as we grow um, for us to become more so like this. Okay, so this Sunday, the next two, we're going to look at our first three of our five values as a family. Um, and again, our values aren't what we do here at Embassy. Uh, and values in general aren't what you do. Um, they really flavor all that you do. Um, right? They, they color it in, if they will. Again, it's, it's what we taste like, what we smell like, maybe the tone uh, or a filter. Um, I don't get on social media very much anymore um, because I get made fun of when I do um, by my wife, um, who's 36. Um, and um, the last time I got on social media, she made fun of the filter I used um, because she said it made me, made me look old. Um, I don't know if it was the picture of me that looked old, but anyway, I put like a, I don't know if you call it SEPA, SEPA? Anyway, it was a filter, um, and apparently it wasn't what the kids do anymore, um, so I just stopped doing any of it. Um, so I, I haven't posted anything in a long time on social media, and somebody liked a picture uh, recently, and I was like, that was like from two years ago. Um, so anyway, um, that's, what, uh, that's what values are. They're a filter, right? They're going to flavor, um, color in um, what we do uh, here at Embassy. Um, they're not what we do, but a lot about how we do what we do. Um, so I'm going to say these really fast, um, and if you're a note taker, you're going to hate it, um, and then, hey, maybe next fall you'll get the rest of them. Um, but, but we talk about our values here at Embassy not so much as values, but identities, okay? Um, really who we are. Um, I give an explanation for that. Um, I like to say I, I try and run. I haven't run in like six months, but I, I try and run, you know? But I'm not a runner, you know? Um, so if, if I run three times a week, usually I stop running. Um, but if I'm a runner, I'm going to run three times a week, you know, you get me, you follow me? So when it becomes an identity, it becomes real, like we, we own it, right? So I want us to be this kind of people. I want ambassadors to be gospel-gazing, food-sharing, self-giving, legacy-leaving, front-porch-waving kind of people, okay? Um, and so, uh, again, those are identities to kind of describe our five values. But the one I want to look at this morning uh, is what does it mean to be a gospel-gazing kind of person? What does it mean to have a gospel perspective? Okay? To see the gospel that one time, and it changed how you see everything for every time. Okay? It changed the way you see God, the way you see yourself, the way you see the world around you, the way that you see your city, the way you see that campus. Um, what does it mean to be a gospel-gazing kind of person? What would it look like if Embassy Church ambassadors were gospel-gazing kind of people? Um, this is why this is important because um, we, we grow up in a quote-unquote Christian or post-Christian culture, um, and, and maybe the subculture you grew up in um, was in or around church, and so um, you can kind of think of Christianity as just a lot of things, but nobody's ever really just distilled down the essence of what Christianity is. No one's ever kind of like heated it up and boiled away the excess and just left, left the main thing, Okay. Um, and so uh, I want to do that for us this morning because the essential thing, um, not getting lost in all the excess, the essential thing to Christianity is the gospel of the cross of Christ, 
Okay, so uh, we talk about that a lot here, and again, we're going to talk about that uh, this morning. Um, it's not one of many doctrines. It is the supreme um, act of God in human history that changes literally everything. And so we can't ever get away from it. Um, that's why we talk about it as a, as a lens, a worldview, something we see through. It's not something we start with and move beyond. Um, and so... Um, Gospel gazing. What does it mean? What does it look like for us to be a gospel gazing kind of person? So if you have your Bible with you uh, or you have a Bible app, go ahead and turn to the book of John, chapter 3. And I want to bring us to verses 14 through 21. John 3, 14 through 21. If you're new to the Bible, um, don't be shy about asking the table of contents for directions. But this is the gospel of John. There's three small letters of John on the back end of your Bible. Um, this is the gospel, which is in the front end of the New Testament. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. Um, but John chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Um, in it is um, probably the most famous gospel passage, gospel verse. Um, there is John three sixteen, 16, uh, depending on what translation you grew up reading. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever should believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. There's a little KJV mixed in there. Um, but, but this passage is going to really answer three questions for us, okay? Number one, and most importantly, um, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Okay, because uh, you weird embassy people talk about this thing all the time, and, and I don't hear any, like, music with choir, with southern soul. Like, what's the gospel? What's going on here? Um, why is it so hard for us to see the gospel at first? And then lastly, how can we never stop seeing it? How can we never stop looking through it? Okay, what's the gospel? Um, why is it so hard to see it first, and how can we never stop looking through it? First was the gospel, uh, verses 16 through 18. I'm actually going to jump us down, um, and uh, I want to point out um, three really quick things, okay? Three really quick things about the gospel um, in these three verses. Uh, it's essence, okay? Number one, it's essence. Um, look at verse 16. It says, for God loved the world in this way. He gave. Okay? So the essence of the gospel is it's a gift. It's a gift. The gospel is God's sacrificial gift of love. And because it's a gift, it's receivable, never earnable. All right, I'm going to speak really simply and really slow this morning. Um, but what I'm going to say is really important. And I want to just kind of set in for you. Okay, it's a gift, and because it's a gift, it is receivable, but it's never earnable. Or I'm going to say another way, it's gifted free, freely, it's never granted meritoriously. And this is hard for us, okay, because we, we like to earn things, okay. Um, we we, we, we want to kind of pay our dues. Um, uh, this is why Jesus talks about little children as being... Um, those who can inherit the kingdom. And if we don't become like little children, we'll never inherit the kingdom. What are little children? What are they excellent at? Receiving gifts. Like my kids are great at receiving gifts. I came back from my trip in New Orleans and my, my grandmother had just like a box and she's so good at this. She just got this silver box. I'm going to leave and I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm, I'm getting gifts for my great grandchildren. And she's putting this silver box together with like these animal stickers on it and like Hershey's Kisses in it. And you would have thought we bought, I mean, I brought my kids to the moon, you know. And they're so great. Just thank you, thank you. And just, just 
so good at receiving gifts. The gospel is a gift, okay? Gifted freely from God, never granted meritoriously. That's its essence. Now look at its effect, okay? Look at its effect. Look at verse 17. It says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. The gospel's effect is our salvation, okay? What kind of gift is the gospel? It's the kind of gift we desperately need, and if we understood it, we'd be desperate for it. Right? It's the kind of gift that we desperately need. It's not a superfluous gift. It's not extra. It's a necessary gift. And if we understood it, we'd be desperate for it. It's God's salvation from condemnation for eternal life. You know, um, and we, we talked about this last sermon series, but so much of the Christian life, um, it comes down to having the courage to ask the whys. You know, just ask questions, you know. Um, you know, <laughs> why did I do that? Really, why did I do that? Why do I desire that? Why do I feel that? What's underneath there? Um, but even asking the questions, especially, again, if you grew up in or around church and, and maybe a subculture where um, Christianity is a little more familiar, a little less foreign to you, but asking the questions to connect the dots of, like, why do I believe that? Instead of having just kind of a, a, a list of, of doctrine that you almost feel like you have to hold to and kind of get an A on when you stand before God and like turn your test in. And it's like, man, okay, if you get above an 80, I'll let you into heaven. You know, that's almost how we kind of think about, about Christian doctrine. Like understand, okay, that the gospel is telling us we're in a bad spot, a real bad spot. All right, we're standing in condemnation. And what we need is salvation. And only God can give that. Or said another way, the essence of the gospel is that God Amazon primed his son, sent him from heaven to earth, and his son's coming back again. And so you have to be able to delineate between his first coming and his second. Why did Jesus come in the first place? Was it to condemn or was it to save? And you go, of course it was to save. Like, again, I, career, I, I, I took catechism, I, I got all this, or I grew up in Sunday school. Why then, why then are you so hesitant to see Jesus as your champion? Why are we so hesitant to see him or hail him as our hero? Why? When we get stuck in sin, is he the last person that we go to? If he's the only one that's come to save us from it. Again, so much of the Christian life is, is asking why, trying to connect these dots. Do I really believe this? And if I really believe this, what are the implications for this belief? Why do we hide from the one who knows just how stuck in sin we were such that he came to save us from it, to get us unstuck? Jesus would be the first person we run to in our sin. Why are we so hesitant? Why do we hide? We're going to get to that in a second. The effect of the gospel is ultimately it's our rescue. It's our rescue. Salvation from condemnation, salvation for eternal life. Um, 
you, you'll hear me talk about this a lot um, if you come around embassy, but I, I, love, um, I love Turkey. I love Turks. Um, I studied abroad there when I was a student. If you're a student, study abroad. You got eight semesters. They'll just kind of run together, and you'll remember it all as like one thing in like 10 years. Um, but, but if you study abroad, at least one semester will kind of stand out. And so for me, that was the, the spring semester of my junior year. Studied abroad in Istanbul, and um, man, just fell in love with the country and the people. And I used to spend a lot of time with um, Muslim Turks and Christian Turks, um, those that had a Muslim background or MBBs, Muslim background believers. And I remember spending some time with, with a friend um, who grew up Muslim, uh, became a Christian, and he became a Christian through seeing a, a almost like a wanted ad um, in the paper, right? This is just crazy how God works, where um, I was just like, dude, tell me your story. Like, how'd you, how'd you get the gospel the first time? Like, how'd you just hear it and understand it and respond to it? He's like, man, just reading the paper. And I was like, really? <laughs> reading the paper? You know, I read the paper, I get angry, you know, I, I feel a lot of different things, right? Um, I don't ever see the gospel in it. And um, he said, yeah, I was flipping through the paper, in the back of it, there was this just little advertisement. Um, if you want a Bible, call this number. And so I called the number, they sent me a Bible, I started reading it, and I had all these questions. And then uh, I called the number again, and somebody answered the questions, and I believed. And I was just like, that's amazing. Right? Talk about taking a load off in church planning. I'm like, man, if God's doing that kind of stuff, right? This church planning thing's going to be easy. Um, and uh, he, he made a statement, and it always struck me, um, or, or it has, it struck me and it has stayed with me, um, about what he felt in that moment. Right? Where he's, he's reading, and I don't remember the passage, but he's reading the New Testament. He's reading about Jesus um, especially. And he says, man, when I, when, I, when I read that passage, I felt like I was, I was reborn. I felt like I had a whole new life in front of me, like everything changed. And the reason it struck me is because it was out of context from the evangelical jargon I'm used to, right, being born again. But the language he used was John 3 language, that he understood the gospel. He understood the gospel and its effect that it was salvation from condemnation. And the reason Jesus came was to get him unstuck from the sin that he was in. And it changed his life. And now he carries on this, this ministry of putting, almost like Craigslist ads in, for people who the Spirit of God is already working in and they're looking and they're asking the right questions so they can find the answers. What's the gospel? It's essence, it's a gift, it's effect for salvation from condemnation. Uh, but lastly, um, I want to look at its invitation. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, everyone who believes in him will not perish. And then verse 18, similar language, anyone who believes in him, him being Jesus, is not condemned. All right, the essence of the gospel is God's gift of sacrificial love, the effect of that gift is salvation from condemnation, but the invitation of the gospel is, it's for everyone. It's for anyone. It's for all. This is what's so amazing about the gospel message, and this is why you know it's a heavenly message, uh, not earthly. The, the original hears the gospel, believe the gospel, were, were Jews, but the gospel quickly spread to the Gentile world, right? So it starts in the Near East and then it goes up to Europe. And if you look at the, the history of God's redemption over the last two years, the gospel has no, no locale. The locale is like where the spirit of God is moving. 
That's why there's more Christians today in China than America. 300 million. The center of Christianity is now moving to the global south, to Africa. Right? It's not tied regionally like uh, Islam might be tied to the Arab world or Hinduism might be tied uh, to, to the Indian subcontinent. Um, you, you see the work of God in human history moving around because the gospel is for all people. And so it, it jumps into people groups. And man, when the Bible especially gets translated into a people's heart language, they can hear the words of God in their own tongue for the first time. And they can hear the gospel and, and who this Jesus is that came to save the world. All people, not just the Jewish people. It's transformative. But more than for all people, I need you to understand that it's an invitation. And invitations have to be received. Uh, if you get an RSVP, let's say, um, you know, you, you get invited to just wedding of the century. All right, and this is more for you Gen Zers because I know you like to keep your options open. Um, you know, it's like, well, I don't know, there might be some awesome wedding that day as well that I might get invited to, so I'm not going to RSVP for that thing. I'm just going to keep my options open. I'm, I'm in high demand. And so you get a plus one, two, you got a hot date, like you're looking good. You know, it's a black tie event, right? That's more south than Midwest, um, you know, but say, hey, it's a wedding in New Orleans and you're going down there. You even buy plane flights like you're doing up because this is the wedding to be. You bring your plus one. Y'all are looking dapper, and you show up, and your name's not on the list. And you just realize, like, I didn't. I didn't RSVP. Now, the bride, the groom, they're inside. They're partying. They're having fun. And you want to be like, hey, you know me from the other thousand guests? Let me in, right? But the people checking names doesn't matter. If your name's not on the list, you're not getting in. What's the problem? The problem wasn't with the invitation. It was open and extended to all, but it was never accepted. All right, I'll, I'll use a less kind of fancy example. Let's talk about Chick-fil-A, right? We're in church, closed on Sunday. Um, Chick-fil-A, what I love about it, among many things, um, is when they, they open a new location, Chick-fil-A has an actual open invitation to all, to everybody, to anyone. Like if, if you're there opening day, you get free Chick-fil-A for a year, right? So if you, if, if you just show up and pitch a tent and camp out, like you get 52 free Chick-fil-A chicken sandwiches handed to you. They do this in every location they open up, right? So it's a big deal when Chick-fil-A comes to town. But it is preposterous. How, how do you say that word? It's crazy. I'm going to go more simply. It's crazy. I got complicated. It's preposterous. Um, it's preposterous for you to think that you're going to get Chick-fil-A if you never show up and receive the cards. Right? It's an open invitation to all, but you still have to receive the invitation. That's how the gospel works. It is open to you. It is free. It cannot be earned, but it does require a thank you. It does requiring, uh, require an active reception of the gift. All right? So what's the gospel? Its essence, its effect, its invitation. Um, but, but really, the, I think the challenging piece for us is why is it so hard to see? And again, I'm dumbing this down. You're going, this is like really simple, really straightforward. You know, this is what they're learning behind the floating wall, you know, with the, like the three to six-year-olds. Uh, yeah, it is. Um, a little dumbed down, but... Um, 
um, pretty much the same thing. But, but why is it then so hard for us to grasp? Um, okay. Uh, let me read for us 19 through 21. The passage goes on to say, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Now, this is essentially what this passage is telling us, all right? Here's what's true. Here's what's true. God loved the world by sending his son as light. People, we, Loved the darkness, so we rejected his son because we didn't want to be exposed by him. Right? That's what it's saying. God loved the world, so he sent his son. We loved the darkness, so we rejected him because his light exposes us. This is why, uh, man, uh, we talk about reading the Bible uh, in our rejuvenation time in the morning or at lunch or whenever you kind of do your daily devotional. Um, reading it until it reads you. Because it's, it's exposing, right? Which is a lot of times why we don't want to open it. Especially when you, when, you, when you get into the New Testament and you get into the red letters and you're, you're looking at Jesus and it's like, man, I'm reading about this, this cat that lived 2,000 years ago, but like I feel like he's speaking to me. Or maybe you show up here on a Sunday and you're sitting in the back row and you're like, man, this is kind of like crazy speaking to me. I'm being read. I'm being exposed. What's happening? Light is being shined on your soul and you don't like what you see. This is why at times, um, maybe if you're, if you're not a Christian or if you can think back to maybe before you were a Christian, it was hard to be around Christians because it was exposing. It was like, man, ah, when I get around that, that group or that, that crew, it's just kind of like, ah. And you can kind of project judgment, you know. It's like, man, they judge me. It's like, they don't judge you. And maybe they do because Christians can be the worst, can't we, you know. Um, we can be the worst at that. We shouldn't be. The people who had their judgment taken by the Son of God can be the worst at judging others, but a lot of times it's a projection. What's happening? Lights being shined. Okay? What this is telling us is the reason it's so hard for us to see the simple gospel is that our loves are disordered. Your love is disordered. God loved you enough that he did send his son for you, but you love the darkness. You love your sin. You love the very thing that's not giving you life but stealing life. And it's going to take sending the son and giving up his life to steal you back. I love how John writes. Um, John uses a lot of this in his gospel this light darkness imagery. Um, and, and I'll never forget, I, I don't know um, where I heard it, but, but once it, it's kind of like one of those things, once you see it, you can't unsee it, like we're talking about with the gospel. Uh, once you see it, you, you can't unsee it. Um, when I heard this for the first time, it's just like, it stuck with me. Um, it's kind of like FedEx, you know? Um, like the FedEx logo actually has like a forward arrow in it. And once you see it, you can't unsee it, you know? If not, like for like the first 10 years of my life, I was like, hey, look, FedEx. And now I'm like, hey, look at that arrow, you know? That's just how it works. Next time, um, you'll see it. Um, but light and darkness are not polar opposites. 
All right? Put yourself in a room, put a little darkness and put an equal measure of light, and light wins every time. Light always dispels darkness. All right, so, so you, you, at least I do. I start to ask the question, you know, uh, man, if our loves are out of order, how can I know that God's love overcomes my out-of-order loves? It's because light always overcomes darkness. Light dispels, okay? And so this is the beauty of the gospel, and this is where I want to I kind of bring us uh, to it, um, is, is God's love for us actually overcomes our love for everything but him. And this is the beauty of the gospel. Look at verse 14 and 15. You know, we looked at what's the gospel. We, we, we looked at kind of the gut punch, if you will, of, um, of why we don't um, maybe look at it at first. Or even if we do see it, we, we, don't, just, we don't just stay enamored at it. Um, maybe another way I can explain this for you is, is the gospel is like bittersweet chocolate. All right, like it's bitter at first, but then it's sweet. But you've got to get through the bitter to get the sweet. Like it's going to tell you something that you don't want to hear about yourself but you got to hear it before it can tell you something that you need to hear about God. Or Gen Z, we're going at you. Um, Black Cherry Warheads, love them, love them. Black Cherry Warheads. Is that a Gen Z? I don't know. Maybe I'm talking to millennials. I have older people shaking their head like, yeah, fourth grade, you know. <laughs> Played cat and mouse and ate Black Cherry Warheads till my tongue was raw. Um, cat and mouse, cat scare, I don't know. It was some game. It was a really cool game, by the way. Um, Lots of cool kids played it. I played it. Um, where was I? Black, Black Cherry Warheads. Yeah, it's, it's, it's super bitter at first taste. Some people call this the bad news before it's sweet and you get the good news. Right? This is why just memorizing John 3.16 um, just kind of leaves you wanting. But when you step back and look at true, what's true is your loves are out of order. And you love the darkness. And God sent his light. And so our hope is, right, that God's love for us will overcome our love for everything but him. And how do we know that's the case? Look at verse 14 and 15. This is what really ties this entire passage together. And ultimately it's going to help us to um, maybe ask or answer the question, how can we never stop looking through the gospel? Once we see it, um, there's a, a fairly obscure passage that this passage connects to, okay? Uh, it's actually from the book of Numbers, chapter 21, uh, verses 4 through 9, all right? So uh, this is the statement in John 3, verses 14 through 15, but it's, it's tying us back to a story in the book of Numbers, chapter 21. But the verses in John say this, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now, the story that this is referencing in, in Numbers 21 um, speaks of God having rescued the Israelites, his people, out of darkness, and his, his people are grumbling against him and against Moses to go back to darkness. All right? They've been rescued out of slavery, and they're grumbling and going, we want to go back. God's leading them to the land that he's promised them, He's providing for them. He's protecting them. But they long to return to the darkness. 
And it's a terrifying passage. I can't put it any other way. It's a terrifying passage because um, God doesn't stay his judgment. He actually renders it in that moment. And he judges his people for their rebellion. And he sends snakes. And, man, it is a, just a, a almost kind of cooling read. We're just like, wow. The immediate judgment of God on his people for their love of the darkness. And they actually, they go to Moses, and they confess their sins, and they ask Moses to intercede for them. They're going, all right, Moses, you're standing in between us and God. You're giving us God's word to us. We're giving you our words back to God. And he's, he's playing this role of, of, of intercessor, okay, or arbiter between um, a holy God and unholy people. And you get Moses, this, this great man of God, okay. And this is the scene, Right, so this is the story within the story, um, and if you've ever um, like illegally closely followed an ambulance because you're not supposed to do that, or if you've ever like come face to face with EMS, you've seen a, a symbol that that is represented from this passage. Okay, it's actually called the Star of Life, and it's a star, and in that star, there's a pole and there's a snake wrapped around it. All right, you know the image. That image is coming from Numbers 21. And I think more importantly, it's actually not just coming from Numbers 21. It's coming from John 3, quoting Numbers 21. And so track with me here. Don't get lost. There's a story within the story. But you need to remember who's telling the John 3 story. You might have your Bible with you, and the colors of your print are different. Because this is a red letter story. It's not black letters. It's red letters. Red letters signify the words of Jesus. So Jesus is telling this story in John 3. And Jesus is referencing this story to a religious man, a religious leader named Nick, Nicodemus. And he's telling this religious person, hey, this is the gospel, okay? This is the gospel. It's not just, or not at all, that you got to have it all right, get it all together. It's that you're so stuck in your sin, you need a rescuer, your loves are so disordered because you love the darkness, you actually need light to come into the world. And God's going to do this and has done this by sending his son. And what Jesus is actually pointing to is in the cross, okay? Jesus is pointing to himself as the son of man being lifted up. And I want you to get the imagery here, okay? Because in Numbers 21, what, what, um, what Jesus ultimately um, or excuse me, what, what um, God ultimately tells Moses is to, to put an image of a serpent on a pole and lift it up, and anyone who would look at that would be saved. They, they don't have to do anything but look at it. Now God in his mercy stays his judgment. All right, and the, the, the essence of God's judgment, the serpent, is put up, and they look at it, okay? And then I want you to think about what the cross is, all right? Because the cross is not a serpent hung up on a pole, but the Son of God. And Jesus is pointing to this imagery, saying what's true. That you and I are no better than the Israelites. That we love the darkness. So we needed God to love us more than our love for everything but him. And the gospel is that God came down and he did just that. The gospel is that, that Jesus came down 
and like Moses, he was an arbiter and stood between us and God. But more than Moses, he became our atonement. Because it cost Jesus his life to get put on that pole. Right? Like Moses, Jesus was a prophet, but more than a prophet, Jesus became our punishment. You have to ask yourself these questions like, why did Jesus come? He came to save. How did he save? He had to die. He had to die. It's seeing the cost of the cross that keeps you always gazing at it. I'm going to say that again. It's seeing the cost of the cross that keeps you always gazing at it. Yes, it's a gift. Yes, it's free. Yes, it's for everyone. But until you really understand what it costs, the Son of God, hanging on that pole, taking on the condemnation of the world to provide salvation for you, the gospel to you will always be just one of many doctrines. One of many things that you think you maybe have to just get right so that on your test or quiz before God, and that's not how this works, but proverbially speaking, you get an 80 and you pass. Or D is for a diploma. I don't even know if you think you can get an 80. But the problem with that is there's no security. There's no confidence. And so this is how I want to end for us. I don't think it's, it's very hard to contemplate the greatness of God, but I think it's really hard to really grasp the goodness of God. Um, I think it's, it's really easy to have confidence in the, the mercy we need, but it, it's really hard to have confidence in the mercy that, that God's granted us. Okay, so let me elaborate real quick. Um, I went down to New Orleans to sit with my grandfather. He's 92. He had a heart attack a week ago. He has pneumonia in both lungs. And it was my privilege for 48 hours to take care of him. You know, it, it almost, um, it brought back a lot of memories. Um, I think the last time I spent the night with my grandparents, I was, you know, nine. And he was the one helping me get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, you know. And so now I, I had this moment to, to sit with my grandfather and serve him and just be with him. Um, and my grandfather, in his pneumonia, would cough a lot. And so he stayed up all night. And my grandmother was exhausted, but he would just cough and cough. And in this kind of guttural plea, he kept saying the same thing over and over again. He would clear his throat and he said, God have mercy. God have mercy. Staring at his end. And I've had a lot of conversations with my grandfather for a lot of years. My grandfather has a very strong sense of God's greatness. But a very weak sense of God's goodness. My grandfather has a very strong sense of his need for mercy, but a very weak sense of God's granting of mercy. And so I just want to put this before you. What if God desired for you to not just be able to give pleas of mercy, but praise for mercy? 
What if God's desire for you was to move you from a place of pleading to a place of praise? What would that, what would that take? It would take confidence, right? Not misplaced confidence, but, but, but rightly placed confidence, okay? And I want you to hear this. I'm going to say it twice. The gospel tells you and me that the mercy we thought we could only hope for with shaky confidence in the future we can actually have with supreme confidence in the present because of what God has done by sacrificing Christ's life in the past. Are you tracking with me? If you have shaky confidence of what your judgment would be in the future, it's because you haven't let the gospel settle in that your judgment is actually in the past. And when you grasp that, when you grasp that God judged you in Christ at the cross that radically transforms your present. That's what makes a Christian. And it moves us, when you grasp it, from pleading for mercy to praising for grace. And it's not an arrogant, misplaced confidence. The confidence is not in any performance of mine, but the perfect provision of a gift of love from God. That's what it looks like to be a gospel-gazing kind of person. You see it for the first time, and it wows you, and it floors you, and you go, whoa, and you can't unsee it. And it doesn't just change your future confidence. It changes every single aspect of your person. It changes every aspect of every relationship you're in. It starts to change communities and cities and campuses in the world. So, closing out. I think my hope for us, if you're a guest here, and maybe this is the first time you've gazed at the gospel and seen the cross for what it is, my hope for you is that you just receive the gift. You receive it by, by faith, by confessing your sin and saying, Jesus, I trust you. Just saying thank you. When you do that, things begin to change because he promises to put a spirit in you and never leave you. And if you are a Christian in here, my, my, my hope for you and my hope for us as a community is we wouldn't stop gazing at the gospel. That the love of God for us would change our loves for him and other people and reorder them, rightly order them, and that we'd be different. And I believe if we do, we'd be a powerful force for good in this world. Let me pray for us that we'd be that kind of church and then we can sing songs that say all the right things about who God is. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for the gospel. Um, and we pray that, um, yeah, we would we had ever gaze upon it, that it would be the thing through, we, through which we see everything, through which we see ourselves, through which we see the world around us. I pray that it would just be so clear and so potent and so powerful uh, in our mind's eye that it would, just, it would just make us so distinct as a community. So we love you, we praise you, we thank you for the gift that is the gospel, the gift of your son, salvation from condemnation and for eternal life. And we give him all the glory. We pray these things in his name. Amen.
Thanks for listening. To learn more about us or to get connected, please visit embassybtown.org.